A musical adventure. New artists, new musicians, and everyone involved in the world of music. Live from Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This is J Rod Concerts the Podcast with your host, Jamie Rodriguez. Let's find out what we have this episode. And you give yourself away. And you give. Oh my God, is this thing on? Uh, my apologies, J Rod Concerts family. You caught me there on a moment of YouTube fandom. At least like singing in the shower, except the mic was on. But hey, how you guys doing? Welcome to J Rock Concerts, the podcast where we introduce you to up and coming artists, established superstars, musical icons, and everyone involved in the world of music. How you guys doing? Before we get to today's uh, to today's guest, which we're very excited about, wanted to tell you guys about a great newsletter that we have comes out every Friday with the five new songs you've got to know. Um, it's easy to unsubscribe if you don't like it. Just head over to jrodconcertsmedia.com. And, uh, you know, we hope you dig it. We hope you dig it. But on to today's guest, ladies and gentlemen. Super stoked to have him. He's, in some ways, kind of a demigod god in regards to the musical art form of all your favorite artists. He is the designer behind some of the most iconic posters that you've seen recently, including the Austin City Limits 2023 edition, He's designed posters for the Black Keys. He works a lot with Willie Nelson. He worked a lot with um, with uh, Nathaniel Radliff. He designed our poster for the j Rod Concerts American Office Fiesta, which will take place September 20th. And he works with nobody else but the Rolling Stones. How about that, huh? The Rolling Freaking Stones. He's doing a lot of stuff for them. We're thrilled to welcome him, ladies and gentlemen, visual artist. Taylor Rushing. What an artist, guys, Taylor Rushing is. Um, he's from Washington State. He lives now in Atlanta. And uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a character, quite an artist. And we're so thrilled to have him on the show as he kind of shares his story, the genesis of of, um, of where he comes from, his motivations. And uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoy the chat. Uh, he owns a company called Not Bad Illustration. And... Uh, yeah, we're thrilled to have Taylor. So let's get on with it. Taylor Rushing on J Rod Concerts, the podcast. There he is. How are you? The mad, the myth, the legend. Oh, stop it. Taylor Rushing. Look at you. How are you? Look at that beautiful compound behind you. Where are you right now, Taylor? Uh, I'm at home. Uh, this is my. Uh, this is where I have like, my little collection of funky art. I love it. Um, it makes for a good Zoom background. Yeah, absolutely. So Taylor, you know, Taylor Rushing, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, so, so such admiration your way, Taylor. But I was listening uh, this morning, actually, to Jimi Hendrix's uh, experience earlier. Lost him way too young. And I said, you know what? I'm going to ask Taylor about that. That album experience changed my life. You know, when I heard like, hey, Joe, that whole experience album, I thought my reality changed. It was really important. And I said, you know, Taylor, what album had that impact on you you know like did you have a similar experience with an artist or an album that just like things were just different after hearing them well you know i i kind of like i kind of measured my life after sort of those experiences like there's always sort of life before this and and life after this 
Um, and I grew up, um, my mom, I didn't really grow up with, with God in the household. I'm, I more grew up with, um, Paul McCartney and Mick Jagger as our, as our icons in the household. So I was very lucky that my mom loved them so much. So I know that like in high school, um, the stones, let it bleed was a, was a major for me. Um, the album cover is incredible. It's a giant like birthday cake made of like records and garbage and it has little rolling stones at the top of the cake. That one was definitely huge and game-changing because it was the ultimate sort of confluence of rock and roll and country, which I loved already. And then definitely sort of when I went into, like, undergrad, um, uh, J.J. Kale's Naturally was um, was a total game-changer for me. The album cover has, like, this amazing anthropomorphized raccoon painting on it, and he has, like, a hound dog at his feet. And the sort of visual experience was insane. I, I couldn't believe how beautiful the cover was. And then the album has this just incredible sort of ultra chill, groovy, funky, swampy rock and roll. Um, and that totally changed my life. That was like one of the best things I ever saw. And I think for me, experiencing visual, everything is visual first. Um, so I was always drawn to album covers at the record store that I would pick up because of how they looked, you know? Right. Right. And isn't it a shame, T Taylor, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, you know, as much, you know, the Spotify and the, and the music in our pocket, as great as it is, you know, sometimes you lose a little bit of that, right? Like the beautiful big artwork and the lighter notes and all that. It's atrocious. I mean, I mean, we live in an era now that just that just completely lacks the sort of level of consideration, um, especially when it comes to things like packaging. I mean, um, I think that the 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 experience of the record itself is just as visual as it is sonic and i think that when you look at a record you have this incredible chance to sort of bring people in you know i mean it is it is in every way an advertisement the album cover and i think that when you actually get to experience it and smell it and feel it and look at it i mean all all my favorite album covers as a kid were the ones that were illustrated and um you just don't see them anymore it's it's very much nowadays we live in the era of the full bleed photograph all the way to the yeah. edge of with the name which is beautiful in itself because i love seeing great photography but there's just not enough hand-drawn stuff in yeah i mean there's only one taylor and that's the thing that's the way i feel about your art taylor like you hit some fucking nerve like you hit a dynamic that is way out of control like like it's like a great success story taylor basically you know and i wanted to ask you this because you played music you played music for a while uh did you always wanted to be an illustrator or were you like rob zombie i know I asked because Rob Zombie, you know, he can paint and draw. And he used to say to him, music was the goof. He wanted to be an illustrator. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. I, um, I feel very lucky that I was sort of allowed to be as creative as I wanted to be as a kid. So I never felt particularly chained to one thing. I think that like, I mean, I grew up, I, I grew up working in a glass blowing shop as a kid and I worked for a cabinet at a, at a cabinet shop for many years when I lived in Austin. I, I played in a band when I lived in Austin and right that I think that like I've just been so lucky to sort of scratch all the itches at all the times and I think that I'm just very fortunate that I have a job that I really chose because the overhead was incredibly low and I knew I could do it from anywhere and I knew I could travel with it and I knew it was the best way that I could work directly with musicians and so it you know it in some ways it was sort of a logical choice um, but I just knew that whatever I chose if I just spent endless time at it and got good at it that's that's what it would take And uh, it's been an uphill battle. I mean, I, I draw at least six hours every day, and I have for the past four years. And uh, that's just how you get good. You know, you put your 10,000 yeah. hours. Yeah. 
So, so, so let me ask a little bit about that. I was going to ask you because, you know, the songwriting process in Nashville or something, Taylor, you know, it's, they lock themselves at 11 a.m., go on at 4 p.m. What's your process like to six hours? You know, obviously there's days that are different than others, but it's like, you know, the routinary Taylor Rush day. Like, what does that look like? Well, it's, it's funny in the past year or so because the, the level of responsibility that comes with working away from drawing is much higher. Um, I spend a lot more time writing emails than I wish I would, or I spend a lot more time <laughs> hopping on phone calls, you know, and, and I'm grateful that that's part of being a, an independent business owner, but I spend a lot less time than I wish I could drawing. But more often than not, I wake up in the morning, I wake up early. And I have a cup of coffee and my sort of my ideal drawing window is between about 7 a.m. and noon. That's sort of um, when everything is cooking, everything's good. I haven't gotten any really critical emails yet at that point, especially because I'm on the East Coast. It's nice because then I don't get any emails from California until the afternoon. Right. Yeah. So that's a pretty good sort of that's the goal. That's the golden window. And then usually um, I spend some time with, with my partner and our dog and we have dinner at the end of the day. And then I usually go back and do a little bit of drawing, whether it's just some like fine tuning while I'm watching television or something or I'm full blast into a new new project. But yeah, it's usually early morning, late evening. But that's sort of the, the special time to get to work. Yeah. Love that. Love that, Taylor. Taylor, what uh, when you got into University of, uh, of Wisconsin at Madison, yeah. what, what was your catalog of work? Like what was like your... Your presentation there? Oh, it was it was absolutely it was an absolute mess. Actually, it's really funny you ask. So, so I um, I went to undergrad at Evergreen State College in Washington, and then that was a school that had zero. Um, it was a total hippie school. There were no grades. Um, there was no anything. So, at the end of our sort of a college career, we got a narrative evaluation. It was just like a really thick packet of paper, and each instructor had written stuff about us. So, I didn't even have a grade point average at that point. And when I applied to go to grad school, they were just completely baffled. I just sent in this huge packet of stuff with no grade point average and a bunch of like pictures of like strange sculptures I had done or <laughs> sort of like things I'd made in a wood shop or like weird band posters that I'd done. I, I'd been in a band called the Possum Stompers at one point and I did like this outrageous possum drawing. And I'm sure when they got my application, they were just like, this guy's a total nut job. And the. Uh, <laughs> It worked to my advantage, I think, because I was just weird enough, you know. Um, but yeah, that was that was great, and and luckily it was kind of gave me time to formalize uh, what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be when I grew up, you know. Man, that that's incredible, Taylor. And, and you know, I was, you know, you look at Instagram now. I look at the art of Instagram, and I go, you know, they reduce these incredible masterpieces to these tiny things now, and you can't really tell if it's good or if it's bad, but. But there's so many kids that are like 10, 11 years old that are so gifted and like they're doing incredible anime, stuff like that, Taylor. You know, do you think Instagram would have like intimidated you growing up or something? You, you know, because I feel like if I was like like starting now as an artist and I saw like the bunch, I was exposed to this stuff. It's almost like people our age, like the fact that we didn't have it was good. You know what I mean? I, I think that there's really something to be said about sort of the young people now having the, having the feeling like they need to measure up to someone else. And I think that that's really where Instagram can be scary um, is because you feel this need to be as good or replicate someone else's work in order to be like them or be as successful as them. But I think on the other end of the spectrum, I think Instagram does a great job if you're willing to hunt for it you can find people that are really working on the fringe and people that are doing really unique things that go completely outside of trends. And I was lucky to sort of come on to Instagram at a time where 
there was still a lot of weird people doing weird things and the algorithm didn't necessarily send you in a particular direction. So I, I, I'm thankful for the community that I've built via Instagram. I don't know what I would do without it, unfortunately, um, because my business is based on visuals. Right. But I definitely think that there is a great community of creators out there that, uh, yeah, that just sort of like live on the edges um, that you just have to look for. But yeah, I'm thankful that I didn't grow up with social media because I think that um, it would have made me already more anxious than I already am. Amazing, amazing, Taylor. You know, one of the beautiful things about you is people who've known you, who work with you for years, they're like, they love you and they love you on a profound level. And I think part of that is, I mean, you're obviously incredibly charming and a cool dude, but it's, it's like you really connect with your clients and the artistic community on such a profound way. And I think by the time this comes, our, our Fiesta flyer is going to come out and like you really captured what we're about, what I'm about, and you do this with all your clients, whether it's with Willie, with the Stones, you know, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's it's incredible. Like how, have you always connected this well, like empathetically to your friends and to your family? Like, how do you do it? How do you get that core of your, of the people that you, that you're connected with? Well, you know, it's funny. So I, um, I grew up as essentially as an only child and I, um, spent a lot of time, uh, interacting with my parents' friends and my grandparents' friends. And so I had to learn sort of many ways in which to communicate with people. And I think that, um, I was very lucky because not only did those older folks teach me how to relate to them, but they also taught me about sort of the magical things that happened when they were kids. And I, I, I look back on like being a kid and going to a hardware store and the hardware store always had a person that was really like friendly and personable. And the hardware store that I had when I was a kid served popcorn. And I think about like the popcorn as being something that is just, it takes so little effort, but it adds so much more to an experience when you're dealing on a sort of transactional basis. And I just think that it's so important especially in this day and age, to make a personal connection with the people that you do business with. And so I make a huge effort to sort of bring my client base in into my world um, because everything I do is, I try to make everything I do beautiful. I, I want every act to have a level of beauty and connection. And whether that's a, a phone call or going for a beer with your client, I think that like I wanted to really feel like they're getting all that I can give them. Um, instead of just, you know, shooting me a Venmo deposit and calling it a day. You know, I, I want it I wanted to feel like a personal thing because it's my job to make artists and musicians feel even more powerful than they already are. And yeah, so if I can sort of give them a little extra gift by making them feel, you know, really honestly like I care about what they're doing, I think that it makes the relationship that much better because I'm I'm in this for the long term. I mean I know that I'm gonna probably die with a pencil in my hand. And uh, I want to make sure that I'm taking all my people with me. I love it. I love it, Taylor. You know, we're, we're humbled and honored to be part of your circle there of trust. And uh, you're being so good with your time, Taylor. So uh, l let me ask you about a couple of your famous clients. Got to do it. Sure. Let me ask you about uh, Willie. You know, you, at this point, I think you're, you know, you're very intertwined with Willie Nelson. How did you meet Willie or his team? Like, how did that relationship start? I, um... I was very fortunate to be connected with the people at Luck Reunion originally. Um, uh, everyone there sort of orbits around the, the, the Willy universe, and it very much is um, sort of a small orbital ball that, um, that sort of surrounds the Willy world, and, and much of it includes family. And I think that a huge part of what Willy is about 
is taking his people with him. I mean, he has staff that have worked with him for 40 years that still work with him. So I think that, um, you know, going back to the sort of personal connection thing, I was able to sort of make a connection with the folks at Luck, and they were so unbelievably willing to to bring me in. I've been a Willie fan since I was a kid. And yeah. I saw him at the state fair when I was little. And so, um, yeah, the first project I did with them, um, I did a shirt design for them, and then uh, and then I got to do the poster for Willie sort of returning after the pandemic, his first show. And uh, it was an absolute dream come true. And, and um, I think that the fact that I've shown so much love and admiration for what Willie is and what Willie stands for, I, th- I think that, that they've seen that in my work and, and they, want, they, they want me to impart that. So, yeah, I've been very grateful. I've never gotten to meet Willie personally as much as I would love to, um, but I've been very lucky to sort of work closely with his community and, and, and the people that love him as much as I do. Absolutely. Well, you know, we started talking about Let It Bleed and the album that had such an impact on you. So let's finish with that, Taylor. I mean, you are all over the Rolling Stones shop. You're creating some beautiful, you know, all kinds of stuff for the Rolling Stones. I mean, first of all, congratulations. That is beyond epic. And, uh, you know, how did it feel like, you know, now that like you're working with the Rolling Stones, like, you know, like, are you like levitating? I mean, it's it's incredible. I, I'm I'm super super grateful. First of all, for the people at Oxford Pennant for bringing me into this project because I I wouldn't be doing this without them. It it is it is their vision and their dream, and they were very lucky to sort of trust me in in taking taking sort of what they had and making it into something. Um, working with the tongue is obviously sort of um, to me it's 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 the most visual. It's yeah. representative of rock and roll. You can absolutely. Is the icon of rock and roll, and people know it. People know it who know nothing about the Rolling Stones. So there's a lot of pressure that goes into sort of interacting with that um, because I know how important it is. But I think the way I approached working with the sort of the tongue was, you know, I was thinking about all the ways in which people have bootlegged the tongue and sort of have made, you know, sort of taken the tongue beyond the original Stones grab. And once you sort of look at it with those eyes then it's so fun. You know, I was able to draw, I think like, I think I drew 12 different versions of the tongue and like each one kind of got funkier and weirder as it went. And uh, to me, the thing that's so great about the stones is they recognize that like, it's such an iconic graphic that all it needs to be is a mouth with a tongue and people instantly attribute it to the right. tongue. So they don't treat it like a, like a, such a special, you know, sort of, you know, reverent object. They really, they really let it, they recognize its value in popular culture, and they know that no matter what it is, it signifies the Rolling Stones. So I'm I'm grateful for that ultimately. Um, and yeah, of course, it's it's an absolute dream come true. I mean, I thought that working with Willie Nelson was going to be the, the absolute peak of what I was able to achieve. Right. I am. Yeah, I'm over the moon. I mean, I, I when I got the email to do that project, I I just I cried. You know, I I started sure. it because it's. Um, yeah, it's it's a high it's a high honor for sure, and uh, I'm just grateful for the trust that was given to me to do that. Because yeah, every every illustrator who works in rock and roll wants to work with that graphic, and uh, and I'm just a lucky boy. You know, just thank you for your art, Taylor. You know, like when you go to Barcelona and you see, you know, like all this incredible architects, Sagrada then all these people that died, you know, yeah. doing what they loved. I think that. Taylor Rushing, I think that you, my friend, you're like a gallery or something for the rock world. And, you know, 
just truly humbled and honored like to you know to live in the time that you lived you're awesome so oh, okay. that is incredibly generous of you i i uh, i I, I certainly don't think that, but I definitely feel very, very fortunate because, yeah, I'm the luckiest person on earth. I sit around and draw pictures all day, and uh, what more could a, could a person ask for? Absolutely. For Taylor Rushing, you said it all for today, my friend. Thank you so much for your incredible time, your generosity, and just for your incredible vibe. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate you so much. Okay. Talk to you Bye. later. <laughs> you have been listening to J-Rod Concerts, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in.